well, I took a bit too long once again in getting this show together, but it's a really good one and I hope you will like it. Since we last spoke, I have created a new website, iGuy.tv, that's I-G-U-Y.tv, just to handle redirects to all my web content, and a Talking About Glaucoma subreddit to collect glaucoma-related articles from anyone who wishes to contribute at iGuy.tv slash reddit, and reddit is R-E-D-D-I-T. In case you were wondering, I have lots of excuses for not getting this podcast ready in a timely manner. Here is yet another conversation that dates back to last year's American Glaucoma Society meeting, this time with Alfred Solish discussing what he refers to as slit lamp revision of filtering blebs, but what most of us refer to as bleb needling. Welcome back to Talking About Glaucoma, the podcast of indeterminate frequency in which I talk with glaucoma colleagues about hot topics in our field. This is episode number 19 for February 2012. I'm Robert Schertzer, Clinical Associate Professor at the University of British Columbia, Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences, and Director of the West Coast Glaucoma Center in Vancouver, BC, and we're talking about glaucoma. I'm here today talking with Al Solish, and we're going to talk about bleb needling, something he has more than just a little bit of experience with over the years. You know, it's very interesting, um, the idea of using a fine-gauge needle uh, to revise a filtering bleb. I actually thought of this first when I was a resident at uh, UCLA. I noticed that there were a couple of patients who had uh, just a little bit of uh, fibrous membrane over their, their bleb, and I said, gee, would be all, why don't we just lift up that, that scleral flap? And I looked at the histology of failed blebs and, and said, you know, those um, membranes are fairly thin. We ought to be able to get that with a needle. So I went to my attending. And uh, the attending said, you're a dummy. He said, uh, he said, look, they failed after the, you've the done... The good old days. The good old days, yes. You're a dummy, and you know, uh, the, the idea is that the reason they failed because there is wound healing and fibroblast proliferation, and a needle, all you'll do is just, uh, you'll open it up again and it'll close right up, and in fact, you made a mu- you're going to make a much smaller opening with the needle, so you probably you're not going to get a good result with this. And I said, you know, you're right, I'm not too bright, but uh, I never lost the thought. And uh, a couple of years later, I was in Arvo, and I noticed there was this guy named Rich Parrish who was talking about something called 5-FU, which was a, a wound healing modulator. And I said, now there's something. And as fate would have it, I did my fellowship at Washington University in St. Louis, um, where they were part of the 5 floor uracil filtration study. And so um, I, I got the opportunity to use the 5-FU in the early days of that. And so when I started my practice in L.A., uh, I decided to try my idea of needling using an anti-metabolite. And uh, I was wondering what kind of a control I could use, and so I needled people without an anti-metabolite first to be sure that this would work. And if that didn't work, I would needle them with 5-FU. And I did this on about 30 patients, and I got about a 75%, I can't remember exactly the number, 75% success rate. You can look it up, it's at our, an Arvo poster from 1989. Um, and, uh, and they needed between two and three needlings to get a successful result. Now, were these flat blebs, or were these blebs that were slightly raised or insisted looking? I mean, there's a whole whole range of bleb appearances. It's really interesting. I don't remember, because I didn't look at that specifically. I was just looking at people with high pressures, and I wondered if I really had to take them back to the OR and do a 5-FU filter, or whether this little 
slit lamp procedure. In fact, I don't even call it bleb needling. I call it slit lamp revision. I think bleb needling sort of trivializes a very serious operation. Um, so when I do a slit lamp revision or an SLR, uh, you know, I prep them the same way I would for uh, for the OR, although I don't use a lid speculum because I think my thumb is, has a lot more control of a lid than a speculum does. They can blink out specula and right. so forth. Um, but uh, anyway, it, it seemed to work very, very well. Um, it was... Um, uh, what, what was his name uh, uh, of, uh, of balanced salt solution in the in the operating room? Uh, but uh, he proved that it was safe, and I've been using both mitomycin and 5-FU ever since. Um, what was really interesting that I did look at the difference between encapsulated blebs later on after after right. my original uh, presentation. I did look at the difference between encapsulated blebs and non-encapsulated blebs, and needling with encapsulated blebs failed 100% of the time. And, ne and needling of non-encapsulated blebs were the ones that, that, that succeeded. So it was really interesting because when I first proposed this and said, why don't you do a, a needling or a slit lamp revision, people would say, well, we do that for encapsulated blebs. Uh, and I said, no, that's the person you should not do it on because they, they really don't don't work. You can use that as a temporary decompression um, until the, um, the the encapsulation thins out, and, right. and many of those will recover uh, spontaneously, as I have just learned. It was um, um, Vital Costa who, uh, who did a uh, okay. uh, a paper on that. Um, so, uh, I, I, but on the other hand, um, I think that needling is a, a very uh, valuable armamentarium. It's it shouldn't work permanently, uh, just like the original filter didn't work permanently. Uh, but you might get an uh, uh, an extension of your filtering bleb. It works best uh, in patients who've already had a successful bleb for some years. Right, and we talked about that earlier. Those patients, they come back to you ten years later. Their pressure's up, and one needling, and it works, and it just stays working. Because those, I think those people have already sort of a successful um, cells. You know, um, uh, the the group in San Francisco always talk about follow the cells. You know, uh, John Polanski and um, George Alvarado always used to talk about follow the cell. You have to think like a cell. And if the cells in an individual are primed to to allow fluid to pass them, they'll, right. you'll be fine. And if there are, uh, the human body doesn't like holes in it, and if your fibroblasts are ready to close this off, then they will. Be the cell. <laughs> sort of. Um, it, it sounds a little bit weird, but I think that we shouldn't um, ignore the fact that, that the cells of the patient are what's going to determine the result. It was actually um, uh, Bob Schaefer oh, okay. uh, the, uh, who told me that it's always the quality of the patient that determines the result, not the quality of the surgeon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Al Solish, for talking today. Well, that's our show for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the RSS feed at wholeoutofrob.com iTunes, or by searching within your podcast player on other devices. I've created new shortcuts for both the AAC version with artwork and chapter markers and the MP3 versions that you can manually enter into your podcast player as http colon slash iguy.tv slash podcast rss aac or iguy.tv slash podcast rss mp3. Even easier, just go to iGuy.tv for a full list of all my shortcut links to my bits and bytes that are all over the net. You can follow me on Twitter by going to iGuy.tv slash Twitter or by following Rob Scherzer on your Twitter app 
and check out my office website at iguy.tv office or westcoastglaucoma.com. Feel free to drop me a line at podcast at iguy.org for feedback, including topic ideas. And if you have subscribed through iTunes, please rate Talking About Glaucoma in the iTunes store. Please help detect and treat glaucoma by keeping yourself informed. As a reminder for Canadian ophthalmologists, each podcast episode is worth half a credit in the new Section 2 under Podcasts. You can also use any podcast to inspire you to learn more about a topic and earn even more CPD credits because personal learning projects are now worth two credits per hour. This will help make up for the fact that teaching in the clinical setting is no longer recognized for CPD credit. So subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about it, and bug me to complete more episodes.